Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today uh, we are chatting with Gabe Cooper. He's the president and founder of Virtuous. Uh, He has an extensive background in software and technology. He built a very well-known golf app. So if you're a golfer, you've probably used his app. Um, But we talk a little bit about that app, actually, in his experience. But we talk mostly about uh, personalization, marketing automation, uh, how this can be used and should be used for nonprofits to help grow their fundraising and how it can be used to help grow philanthropy overall. Uh, Gabe's a wonderful guy. I appreciate him coming in to take the time. And I hope you uh, enjoy what he has to say as well. Thank you, as always, for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go I said welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's another Freak Show, here we go Hi, Gabe. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's great to be here. So uh, we first connected years ago around uh, mobile giving and apps uh, when I was at a former organization, and that was kind of your thing. And uh, I remember one of the things that stood out, and we were talking about this a little bit before, is you were actually kind of behind Golf Shot GPS, like one of the most famous golf GPS apps ever, were you not? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's actually uh, me and, and two buddies of mine um, founded that company and it was one of those kind of freak out moments where something grows really, really fast and you're not expecting it. And then you look, you're like, Oh my gosh, what just happened? You're holding on for dear life, but it was a ton of fun. Uh, I was just golfing with someone this last weekend and they, they use the golf shot GPS app and like, that's pretty cool to see something that, you know, you had a hand in still kicking around and being used. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I can't walk into, if I walk into a meeting with nonprofit fundraisers or executives, I can almost guarantee if I bring that up, somebody in the room has it installed on their phone and it's probably used in the last week. So it's a great little connecting point. That's cool. Um, so how did you move from making golf shot GPS and kind of mobile apps into where you are now, uh, with virtuous and kind of marketing automation, uh, donor management, relationship management stuff we'll talk a little bit more about. Can you kind of fill in the gaps for us? How'd that happen? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I actually worked in the nonprofit space probably 12, 15 years ago for a long time and and felt the pain of a lot of the technology challenges the nonprofits face. And then um, in addition to the the company that had Golf Shot, we had a, a consulting company called Brushfire. And we were doing just real projects for really big nonprofits, software projects. And what we saw is over and over and over again at all the nonprofits we worked with, it was exactly the same as the nonprofit that I worked at, that they were handcuffed to really, really old legacy technology that prevented them from doing anything good. It was almost like they had this old software that was the operating system at the heart of the organization and it was pushing them in the wrong direction. And I think we just got to a point where we'd seen it for about 10 years at all these nonprofits and said, man, if we don't fix this problem, nobody else is going to. Hmm. And so uh, you kind of took what you knew about um, web and tech and building and kind of tilted it towards this direction. And what was the first root problem that you were trying to solve? Was it kind of like the donor database solution situation that everyone was struggling with? Or was it the communication side that you're kind of more in now? Or was it kind of all of it? Yep. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, there's kind of two problems 
And I know um, one of them we're going to end up talking about a little bit more, but the first and most obvious problem is just you, you crack open some of these common donor management systems and they're just clearly 30 years behind the times, like just old antiquated nonsense. And that's bad for a whole host of reasons. But one is that, um, you know, Jim or Betty in accounting are the only person at the entire nonprofit that's trained enough to make their way around the thing and use it, which is becomes a massive bottleneck for the organization when the people required to market and promote and fundraise for the nonprofit don't even know how to use the system. Like they can't even use the tools and they're the ones that hold the number, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. So in 2019, like software should be open. It should be easy to use. It should be beautiful. Everybody in the organization should be able to use it. Everybody should be able to use it for free. That's how the rest of the world works. Nonprofit should work that way too, right? So that's that's the big, and, it, and you kind of go to any nonprofit and they're like, yep, totally, that's a problem. But the other one is actually around this idea of personalization. And I know we'll get to that in a little bit, but for us, that's actually the, the bigger problem. It's a less obvious problem, but I think the bigger problem that needs solving. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I've really appreciated from uh, Virtuous since you've started is, yes, you need to capture donor data and that is a problem, but it's it's not like the end of the destination. It's almost like the baseline or the beginning. That's right. Like, now you have some information. Well, how, what, are you, what the heck do you do with it, right? That's and that's right. where more of your progression over the years has been towards how do you personalize and even automate some of the fundraising. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. And was that a pretty natural progression um, as well of kind of like, okay, hey, we've solved the data now how do we do communications or as you were solving the data this came up all all the time was kind of like well like how do we use this data and that is that what led you down this path further or no i think even from the very beginning we knew we had to to software personalization but like you said you can't you can't sort of get there unless you get the table stakes right first and unless you can be a beautiful great crm that everybody loves to use unless you can handle email well unless you can do these basics you can't you can't help nonprofits take the, the next step. So we've always known that's always been the ultimate goal, but you, there's a few steps to get there first. But I, I mean, I said this the other day and it, it kind of gets me in a little bit of trouble, but I kind of feel like in 2019, like if it's just CRM, like if it's just the donor database, it should be free, man. Like that's, CRM's a commodity in 2019. It better be, you better be able to use it as an offensive weapon if it's going to be meaningful. Right, right. So uh, how do you kind of define personalization and why is it so important? Um, Let's start there. Yeah. So it's a really good question. I think there's been this massive shift in the last 15 years. And I think most of us are aware of it, at least subconsciously, is that things in our lives have gone from impersonal kind of mass marketing to hyper, hyper personal. So everything from my um, curated Facebook feed to what Netflix tells me to watch to Amazon smart enough to tell me to, you know, buy certain books or clothes for my kids. I'm getting push notifications from ESPN because they know I like Chelsea soccer club. Literally ooh, every, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. We should talk about that later. <laughs> but yeah, that's, so every every brand experience I have right. in 2019 is personalized to me. I mean, I talk, I've talked about this a million times and have for years, but my I, Barrow's Pizza is a pizza joint down the street for me, and they still do this, even though they've used the story a million times. They, I call them, and they know what pizza I want before I order it. Like I'm talking about like a 17-year-old working at a pizza place knows that I want black olives on my pizza before I order it because they have software in 2019 that can personalize my experience. 
on the other hand, giving is one of the most personal things that you will ever do. It is, it is very relational, very sort of driven by personal passions and preferences. Yet nonprofits have not crossed this chasm. They, they are still sending by and large mass marketing. The same person gets the same message across the board, independent of who they are, what they care about, where they are in the donor journey. So, and, and we sort of feel like, hey, nonprofits that can cross this chasm and actually create more personalized experiences for donors at scale, they're going to flourish. In fact, they, I think they can raise a lot more. They can create more sustained relationships with donors. The ones who can't cross this chasm, I think are going to die. I mean, modern donors are beginning to expect this kind of personalized experiences and, and they're going to sort of just drift away from the nonprofits who can't connect them to the front lines of a cause in a personal way. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, I think uh, increasingly um, we're comparing our online experiences to other online experiences, regardless of vertical. I think there used to be like, well, it's a charity, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or it's yeah. like, it's my church or whatever it is that kind of <laughs> sucked. You're like, ah, it's fine because, and I think increasingly, even older generations, I don't think are doing that, but definitely younger generations are like, why isn't this like Amazon? <laughs> you know, why isn't this like X or Netflix or whatever? <laughs> they have these high expectations of not only their, you know, giving experience, but the communication experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the thing that we often miss is it's not like donors are comparing like should I give to charity A or charity B? It's like should I give to charity A, charity B or like get another Netflix subscription or buy something else on Amazon? And like that's the battle that we're going to just get absolutely crushed at <laughs> if we don't kind of embrace some of these approaches, let alone, you know, charity A and charity B, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you guys have done so much of this research, which I – I really appreciate, and there's a, so many problems in it. But you know, let's say three people give to nonprofit: a, a college student with ten thousand Twitter followers, you know, sort of a upper middle class family with kids still in the home, and then like a really wealthy old person. And they all gave very different gifts: ten dollars, and then sixty bucks, and then ten thousand dollars. Most nonprofits aren't going to send any of those people anything at all for about 60 days. And then the same letter shows up to all three of them asking them for 50 bucks a month. Like that may be a mildly appropriate gift ask for the upper middle class family with kids still in the house, but it's absolutely not the right thing to say to the other two. And you're saying it to all three of them, like 60 days too late. You know, and it's like without a relationship or having any idea who they are. I mean, if you're in a, you know, a conversation with somebody at a cocktail party and you, you know, you walk up, you're like, Hey, I'm, you know, Brady, I'm Gabe. Hey, do you want to go bowling on Tuesday? And you've never like, you have no idea who they are. And it's your first time meeting them. Like that's such a stupid ask and a stupid point in a conversation. So anyway, I go off on that, but it's, it's frustrating to know in and the nonprofits are surprised why they're, you know, 76% of their donors never give again. Well, okay. No kidding. Look at the communication. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what's interesting there too, I was having this conversation with someone who's kind of struggling with uh, marketing automation personalization, and I think a struggle is it sounds like it's a lot of work, yep. right? It's like, oh my gosh, you mean we have to have three different messages to three different people and like how in the heavens are we ever supposed to do this? <laughs> so maybe that's where the kind of marketing automation side comes in. And can you tell us a little bit more about um, maybe how you define marketing automation and, and what <laughs> it is and how it works with personalization? 
Yeah, so marketing automation is really the thing that makes personalization possible. If you look at most nonprofits, they have a, like a major donor person or a couple of them, and they can each handle their relationship with about 100 major donors, 120. That's what sociology tells us is possible. Right. So if you have 100 major donors, then you have about 10,000 people on your file that aren't giving at that level like that. There's just not enough staff time for that person to have a, you know, know where everybody likes to eat Mexican food, know all their kids names. Right. So um, marking automation is the thing that that can help you set up rules to say, OK, well, if somebody gives to our school project in Malawi, I know I want to get them are two standard pieces of content about our school project in Malawi. You probably already have those pieces of content. You just don't have time to monitor everybody's gifts coming in and send somebody something different. But automation can help you set up a rule that says, hey, I want this person to get the, these two emails. It, it helps you begin to take things you know in the organization and, and take content that you already have and connect it with different what we call personas. And so, and then automate those next steps or those next marketing or fundraising touch points. So the idea is to help you not add more work to your staff. It's to help you magically scale your staff to create sort of 10x more power out of what you're already doing. And so yeah. there's, there's a bunch of examples around that, but hopefully that helps. Yeah, no, I, I think the application of, of marketing animation is vast. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. just communications. There's processes. Right. How do you update record? Like there's all kinds of uh, automation. Right. But the stuff that um, – where it relates to the personalization is it's really what facilitates that uh, conversation or how do you send that update yeah. to – you know, it's not necessarily that hard if you got one person who gave to Malawi. What happens if you have a hundred? And what happens if yeah. the next hundred give to Ethiopia and the next hundred? You know that that's yeah. the scale that all these yeah. programs break down. Um, okay. So if uh, automation kind of seems like at odds with personalization, right? Like automation mm-hmm. is like machines and they're cranking it out. <laughs> so can you keep a like a real personalized? personal kind of relational thing while still automating? That's a question we get asked all the time. I have my own answer, but I'm interested, you know, uh, how you would answer that. Well, two things. The most obvious is it, can it possibly be less personal than what you're doing today? (laughs) Sending the same letter to 10,000 people, you know, and and the answer is no, there's nothing less personal than that thing. And so it's got to be more personal than that. I mean, that's the easy answer. But the second easy answer is, again, the things we're automating can be emails. But I always give an example of like this place where I buy clothes. I I have an obsession with buying clothes. It's probably unhealthy. But part of the reason I do is because there's a couple of men's shops that will watch what I buy. And then they'll send me a few emails over the next couple of days with other things that I, I would also generally like. And generally, I really do like them. And I end up opening the darn email because I really like the things that they're sending me because it's awesome, right? And so I don't see it as like clutter or garbage. And I don't see them like they're, they're doing a bit of a trick, but I don't see it that way. I see it as, as value add. And so I stay engaged in what's going on. Like, Okay, yes, it's not a person that knows your name. It's a machine. I get it. But it adds value in a very personal way. So I'm not talking about substituting a machine for a relationship. But what I'm talking about is treat your people like people. Give them value in what you're sending them based on what they care about. So that's point number one. Point number two is marketing automation isn't just about emails. So what, what we see people automate all the time is 
um, handwritten note cards. It's impossible to keep track of. Every time somebody gives over 10 grand, we want them to give a handwritten note card. Well, you don't want somebody on your staff to be like pulling reports around that every day. You just want, you know, you know, John on your fundraising team to get a quick email or notification that says, write a handwritten note card to this person, say this. It just, it scales personal touch. It prompts people to give phone calls at the right time, you know, and, and those, it, it helps magnify relationships, not kill them. Hey everyone, this is Nathan. We'll get back to the interview with Gabe in just a second. But real quick, I wanted to let you know about a brand new benchmark study that we've just launched. Most online fundraising benchmarks out there are either outdated or they force you to compare your fundraising efforts to organizations that are just really different than your own. And let's face it, it doesn't really help to compare a local food bank to a health-related organization or a museum or a fine arts group or a massive disaster relief organization. This benchmark is going to help you compare your efforts to organizations like your own so that you can find out what areas you need to be optimizing in order to grow your revenue and most of all, grow your impact. All you have to do is share three key metrics with us, your monthly web traffic, the number of donations per month, and your average gift size. If you share these key metrics with us, we'll be sure to send you a free copy of the full online fundraising benchmark study when it's ready to go. You can find out more about the study and enroll in it at nextafter.com slash benchmark. Again, that's nextafter.com slash benchmark. Now back to the interview. You know, oftentimes people talk about like the the downside, you know, of mm-hmm. automation of like, well, don't people know that we're like tricking them or uh, what if we get it slightly wrong? And I think your point of like, well, it's not that much, can't be worse than what we're doing already <laughs> is a really good one. And the expectation that we're going to get things 100% right is also not correct, right? So this person that I was talking to that was really struggling with this, they were trying to do like everything perfectly from day one for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if if that's what you're going to try to do, it's going to break down in the first week and it's going to all fall apart. So do you kind of recommend if people are looking to get started like, okay, what's something that you do like every single week? Or what's one thank you letter? Or like what is a repeatable thing and then how can we automate that one thing for a bit? And then you kind of add to it. Is that the general approach that you suggest or – yeah, there's there's a that's, it's a great question. So where to start is the hard thing. It's kind of like boiling the ocean with this stuff. And so there's a couple of areas. The first one is just such a basic thing, and that's a welcome series. So many organizations don't do a good welcome series or don't do one at all. Um, you can use marketing automation. Like uh, Team Rubicon doesn't use our system. I wish they did, but they do. They do a great job. They send me like text messages, all this kind of stuff, and it's all driven by automation, right? So there's no reason that people shouldn't get like a couple emails, not another gift ask, but value add emails. As soon as they give, um, the email should reference them by name and it should reference the thing they gave to. And, you know, and so automating a couple of emails, maybe a letter and then maybe a call. Like that's a simple thing. If somebody gives for the first time we want them to get these four things, we want them automated. That is like sort of bottom and, and when you do that, you, you see like massive results. That's the funny part is you see like huge results. So that's one. Um, uh, another one we see is just automating different milestones in a donor journey. And so, hey, when somebody crosses this threshold or this threshold, we want them to get a, a call or note from our president. It's very easy, very basic to automate. But one of the things we've talked about, I talked about with you before is we have a spreadsheet that we use um, 
where we'll just say, Hey, identify your top three personas of your donors. Like, Oh, you know, basically we always have, you know, college students that are total activists for this thing. And then we have like the stay at home mom that's really interested in this. And then the three basic kind of chunks. And then what you do is you take your, your top three bits of content for each of those personas and you put them in a spreadsheet and you kind of map them by, this is what we want somebody to get early in our relationship with them. And then kind of in the middle of our relationship. And then after they've been with us for a while and we want to move them into a champ and you sort of map your content to each of those personas in those three buckets, early, middle, late. And then you just make sure that you've built in some automation to make sure if, if one of those people in those personas raises their hand, they come in early, they get that piece of content, right? Now, you're not screwing anything up. You're not, oh, I'm sending like 42 emails that are built like a weird stack of dominoes or a Jenga board. And if I pull one out, everything else falls apart. Like what's the worst that can happen? Like, you know, a mom gets a piece of content more relevant for a college student, it's not going to kill you. It's fine. So just start with those low risk things that you know are going to move the needle. Yeah. No, that's really good advice. And the thing that you keep bringing up over and over again is is value. I think that's another temptation is like, oh, I have all these tools that can make my life easier. And all of this powerful stuff gets used like internally. And then it doesn't actually make the lives of the people externally any better. Like, you know, so that's great. You're saving time. But the point of this is actually to enrich like your donors' lives, enrich your communication and raise more money. So can you talk just a little bit more about that kind of, you know, value exchange? Because I think that's something organizations miss a lot. Yeah, we harp on this so much, but generosity begets generosity. Like people don't want to give to somebody who they think is always taking. And so as a, as a nonprofit, you, you can't think about your donors as a means to an end. They are not a means to an end. They are part of the thing with you and they care about it every about as much as you do. And they're a real part of that. And so you need to think about giving to them just like they give to you. The way you give to them is you, is like any relationship. They're not donor IDs or numbers in a database. They're actual people. And if you can figure out who they actually are and what they care about and give them thoughtful things that help them move forward, like that's a win. That's how generosity works. And it's not, um, gosh, it, you know, what it ends up doing is increasing your fundraising a lot when you do that well, but that's not even why you're doing it. You're doing it because it's a byproduct. You do it because you want to be generous. And so, but to do that, you have to know what somebody is. So if I know somebody's a college student and an activist, like I want to send them a, like a one cheater that they can share with their friends that tells them the top three things they can be doing on campus to make a difference. And it's not even necessarily about my organization. I don't even need my organization's logo on there. I just need to tell them what to do to make a difference. I can share even, this is like heresy in the nonprofit space, but share information from other cool nonprofits doing similar things, right? And so just add value. Think about them as a person, what they would want. Give them value. And what happens is that sort of generosity begets generosity as, as opposed to, you know, give me 50 more bucks, give me 50 more bucks, urgent need, the theater's on fire, give me 50 more bucks. You know, it's like that just burns people out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've seen a couple really good examples of that last concept of even like sharing other organizations, like the major gifts person I worked with for a while was unreal. She would regularly suggest other charities as she got to know these donors. She wouldn't shy away from asking for ours, but she said, you know what? Like you're really interested in education in Rwanda. You should really look at this organization because they are unreal. And through that, 
everybody wins. The donor's like, wow, thank you so much. That is a great organization. That other organization gets a gift. We actually get more money now because they feel yeah. so grateful for what she yes. did. Uh, so I don't think I've seen that, you know, at not the major donor level. That'd be interesting to see because we see that all the time. Giving begets giving. You know, if you give to one project and then you give to a person, you are more generous. You're more likely to give. And we know the the patterns. When someone gives two gifts, you know, within a 16-month, 12-month, whatever the data point is, kind of shifts. But once they do that, then they skyrocket in terms of their likelihood to stay with you. Yep. And and it, we don't get that by just like, thank you, please give again. Like there has to be that experience that you're talking about. And not just because it's good for lifetime value, but because it's it's right. You know, it's yeah. what's right. That's right. One of the things that Tim and your team has talked about for years is sort of the, the idea of climbing up the, the funnel instead of going down the funnel. And the way you do that is is getting people getting people to say like a, a micro yes, right? Getting them sort of believing believing in your vision, believing in your cause. Well, the best way to get people to say these small yeses along the way is like, hey, you know, are you interested in in downloading, you know, our our PDF or our new devotional that we just put out or the ways that you can make a difference on campus independent of our organization, you know, or, or, Hey, you know, it might be worth checking out the, the organization in Rwanda. Right. And so automatically now, now, now you're not sitting across the table from them adversarially. Now you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with them, like talking to one another, trying to equip them in the cause and getting them nodding and saying yes. And that always, those little yeses always lead to more sustained giving. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of doing a review right now of uh, the last year and a lot of what I've learned because it's my first year. And one of the things that stood out is the phrase, would you consider? Um, we use that fairly frequently in like a post action after someone signs up for email, signs up for donation. And I just think that language even is so powerful. Instead of like, do this, we're still mm-hmm. basically presenting an opportunity to do that and even asking them to do it. But instead of yeah. a, like a do this, it's more of what you're talking about is like, hey, would you consider? And then it's yeah. positioned more like you already care about this. You know, here's something else. Would you consider actually doing this? And here's why. And just a, that slight change, you know, in terms of where we're coming from makes all the difference in the world. Even if they say no, you know, you ask poorly, they say no, they're done. <laughs> you yeah. ask well, and in context, they say no, and they're still fine. They go, oh, thank you, but no, not right now, or something like that. Like, it's really, really powerful, small stuff like that, right? Yeah. Well, one part of that, too, is the, and you kind of hit on it a little bit, but it's being able to close the loop well with donors. Like, you know, this hardly ever happens unless you're a major donor, but imagine giving to, like, you know, like we love Teen Challenge or a customer of ours, but imagine giving a, a gift to a Teen Challenge kid and getting a call from somebody at Teen Challenge nine months later that said, hey, you probably forgot about that kid that came to your door. But I just wanted to tell you he's done really well, got into community college a semester ago, and, man, you, that was just a huge change in his life. Like if, if you got that call or email, like if you were able to close the gap or close the loop with donors in that sort of meaningful way, you know what that does to giving? And that's another way of just giving back to the donor, treating them like a person. Like if you give to something, you want to you want to know. Like you want to know the power of that impact. I want to tell my kids about that story, you know, about what the difference that gift made. And so that's a big part of too is, is being grateful to donors is having the sort of the courage and the follow through to be able to close the loop. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I want to move on to kind of finishing this conversation around philanthropy, but it, it reminded me of another example. There's an organization startup called Chemo Cars that uh, I've kind of got to know, like 
Super they're cool. They're a customer. They're there a customer of ours. That, uh, I, I love think, those guys. They're awesome. I think we've, we maybe had a hand in that. But um, yes. <laughs> like we made a donation. I actually won a bet and someone made a donation like in my honor or whatever. And within yeah. I think 48 hours maybe they sent a personal thank you letter and it attached a few voicemails of actual people that they serve thanking them for providing the ride. And it's like – you know, it's quick, close the loop while it's still fresh, and it's not from them. It's from someone else. And you hear firsthand these people saying, thank you so much. I would have never been able to make it to my, you know, cancer appointment without this. It was like I'm like getting chills now. It's amazing. And they're just narrowing oh, that great. gap between me and who I really want to help, you know. Uh, and so that type of stuff is so cool that there's organizations like that doing it because it's not, it's not the hardest thing in the world. You need to prioritize and make it important. But – it's not that hard to do that kind of stuff if you really want to, and it's really important. Absolutely. That's a great example. Yeah, it is a great example. Um, thanks thanks for telling me that, Gabe. Um, <laughs> so we've talked a little bit already about how we think, how you think this kind of improves and impacts philanthropy, and that's really the focus of this podcast. It's not like, oh, you know, get virtuous software or like use marketing automation. Maybe that's the case, but it's really about how do we grow philanthropy, and um, maybe we'll kind of close. Can you just uh, connect a few of these dots and – what, what is it about personalization or marketing automation that you really think is not just good for customers and raising money, but like why is this good for philanthropy and how does this really grow generosity? Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said at the first is, is um, you give for very personal reasons. I mean, I even look at what my wife and I give to and, and all of them are things that impact us personally. That's, I think we're sort of created in this way where we want to be part of something bigger, bigger than ourselves. And and we give to things sort of close to us in that way. And so I think, um, helping nonprofits, um, bring some of the world's toughest problems to the doorsteps of folks and letting them connect in a very personal way and showing them the impact in a very personal way is just honestly, a lot closer to what we were sort of created to do. And so, and in that sense, um, uh, um, people give more. They don't just give out of um, guilt. They start giving sacrificially because they think they're a part. They don't start, they don't stop at giving, you know, 5% of their income. All of a sudden they're giving 15% of their income. It's, it's a part of who they are um, when that happens. And so what you see is, you know, U.S. generosity has been stuck at whatever 2.5% of GDP is about $400 billion last year. You can see that number move to five to seven to $9 billion really quick when you start thinking about sacrificial giving connected to people who are personally. And, and, and that's, it's a nice theory and all, but what we're seeing is those, those kind of things do happen. So we're seeing a lot of our customers, honestly, who are kind of drink our Kool-Aid enough to start doing this and actually treating their entire file in a very personal way. And they're seeing those kind of results where people are, are now so engaged. They give more, they give more often, they give more sustainably over the long haul. Right, right. That's awesome. Well, I'm, there's a lot of other jumping off points there around, you know, growing giving and the culture shifts required to make that kind of jump. But we'll save that for another day. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, where can people learn more about um, you and your work? Yeah, easiest place is virtuouscrm.com, uh, virtuouscrm.com. Um, um, or, you know, if you have questions, you can always email me personally at gabec at virtuouscrm.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gabe. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Brady. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey. 
Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. It, Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kuchuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>